Good morning. This may not be the fellow you was expecting to see up here this morning. Pastor Bobby does not normally advertise when he travels for various reasons, but he gave me permission to tell you that he's in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia right now. We have a ministry partner through Grace Go, and it is the Fellowship Church. It's through North American Mission Board. And Pastor Bobby was asked several months ago to go to Vancouver to preach and teach at a, they're calling it a refresh and encouragement conference. And so Vancouver's kind of a melting pot. There's a lot of different nationalities and, and immigrants that have come in there. And um, it's a difficult time everywhere to be a Christian, but especially in Canada right now. And so uh, it's very, very challenging to be a pastor there. Pastor Bobby yesterday uh, taught and preached at that conference. He uh, contacted me, said it went well. And then this morning now he is going to be uh, with uh, our church plant there, the Fellowship Church, Pastor Joshua Kim. It's a Korean-speaking church. And Pastor Bobby is going to be delivering the message there and then coming shortly home. He said, I'm going to be here so soon. Go ahead and tell the church where I'm at. So that's where he's at, and he's given me permission to do that. Now, he was asked to do that many months ago, several months ago. And so I was informed several weeks ago that I was going to be preaching. And whenever I preach, the first thing I think of is, Lord, what would you have me to preach? Well, one scripture, one set of verses kept coming back to my mind over and over. And you'll notice on the screen, if you see Romans 12, 1 and 2, very well-known scriptures. You know, I know that you have probably studied this in small groups and in uh, uh, Sunday school, probably at home in your quiet time. Many of you have memorized these verses, and I'm sure that you've heard sermons preached on these two verses in your lifetime. So I'm not naive. I'm not going to bring you some cutting-edge, brand-new, you know, groundbreaking teaching on these scriptures, but I will give you a challenge. Jesus often said in the, uh, when he was speaking to the multitudes, he would say, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. And what he meant by that was pay attention because we have to know these things. We have to get that knowledge in our minds, but that's not good enough. We have to take that knowledge then from our minds to our hearts and trust that, and that's called faith. And then we have to take that faith and get it out into our hands and our feet and our eyes and our minds, and that's called obedience. Knowledge, faith, obedience. I call that practical Christianity. I call that living our faith. And so this morning, I'm going to do a how-to message because we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to find out this great, wonderful pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And it's uh, nothing less than knowing the will of God. Now, I think if I would ask, and I'm not going to do this, but if I'd ask everyone to raise their hands, uh, who, who wants to know the will of God here? I think all of us that are Christians want to know the will of God. Well, this may sound a little cold, but God gives us the formula of how to know that. Because I've found that knowing the will of God sometimes for Christians is sort of an enigma. Uh, we're sort of confused sometimes on that. And often we look at it as something mystical. And we say, well, you know, we're just going to get quiet and cross our legs and you know, think about it for a while. And then God's going to speak in an audible voice. Or maybe he's going to show us a vision. You know, Paul said he was taken up into third heaven. Maybe that's how God will reveal his will to us. Well, here's another one that I hear really often. Just trust your heart. You know, just, just go with your feeling, and that'll tell you God's will. Well, let me give you a little warning from Scripture. It's in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So you better be careful just following your heart. Is that the way God gives us his will? Now, he can use those things, obviously. But another uh, kind of misunderstanding I see sometimes is people will look at the will of God or knowing the will of God as something that's circumstantial. 
And so circumstances, we're just going to see God open doors and close doors, and certainly God can use that. But if that's the only thing you're looking at, you better be very careful. Better be very careful. Then sometimes we look at it as being something sporadic. And this is how we get our minds, okay, in the big things of life. Okay, I have to buy a new house. God, should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should we move our family? And it's these big things. And we come to God and we, we pray, we seek God's word, we seek his, his will, and we get that peace that passes understanding and we move forward in the will of God and then that's it. And then we just go along our normal lives until the next crisis comes, next big decision, and then we're back at it again trying to find the will of God. Well, I'm just telling you from Scripture, that's not normally how God reveals his will to us. I'm here to present to you this morning that knowing God's will should be a normal, continual thing. We should be walking in that daily, hourly, moment by moment, knowing God's will. And so with that in mind, we're going to stand and we're going to read some scripture here. And um, this is really, I hate to say it this way, but it's kind of God's formula for knowing God's will. Now, as you read this, as we read this, you're not going to stand very long because this is only two verses. So you get to sit down very soon. But I want you to pay attention to something. When I was first saved, my pastor at the time, my former pastor, was Dr. Adrian Rogers. And Dr. Rogers used to teach that when you read Scripture, you should always look for two things. Number one, is there a commandment to obey? And then number two, is there a promise to believe? A commandment to obey and a promise to believe. So as we read these two verses, look for them. Look for the commandments, okay? God says, if you will do this, I'll give you this. This is from a God who cannot lie. So you're going to see these commandments. Actually, there's three of them. And we're going to read this scripture, and then we're going to pull those apart. And we're going to find out what do they mean, and then how do we actually live that way? How do we actually apply that to our lives? So look for these commandments. You'll see the great, wonderful promise at the end. And this is in um, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, I pray and thank you that you've given us this church. I thank you that we're gathered together here today. I pray that you'll make my mind clear and that I will speak your words. I pray that even now you're preparing the hearts of the hearers. Lord, they that have ears to hear, let them hear. And I'm going to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, three commands. Did you see the three commands? We're going to look at them in detail. But um, I'm going to give them to you real quickly in summary. God says, if you will present your bodies a living sacrifice, if you'll not be conformed to this world, but if you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then what's that great promise? You'll know my will. You'll prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we're going to look at those scriptures. We're going to pull them apart. We're going to see what they mean. But before I do that, I want to or, or take you back to the beginning of this verse and show you something very interesting at the beginning of this verse. Now, Paul says, now, here's, here's the, the, the prize knowing God's will. But if that isn't enough, Paul said, I want to give you something more to motivate you, inspire you to live this way. You notice he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He says the word beseech is a word that means to come alongside and encourage. 
So he says, I come alongside you. I encourage you. And then he says something interesting, therefore. Now, if you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for, right? And therefore is a linking word. So he's going to link it to something. But then he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Well, what are these mercies? Here's our inspiration, our motivation. Well, when you see the word therefore, that's linking Romans 12 back to everything that Paul was talking about before. Well, what was he talking about before? Romans chapter 1 through 11. So all those chapters, you know, we call the book of Romans the constitution of Christianity. And there's so much in their doctrine and, and theology and all these things in the, in the book of Romans. But now Paul says, you've learned all these things in the first 11 chapters. Now you've graduated, and here's how you're supposed to live. So what's he talking about, these mercies? Well, obviously, I don't have time to preach uh, Romans 1 through 11. But let me give you a little bit of uh, summary of that, okay? This is inspiration, motivation to why we should live this way. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, we find out that we're justified by faith. And because we're justified by faith, now we have access to God. And because we have access to God, now we have the hope of heaven. And then we find out some really practical things in the book of Romans. The book of Romans tells us that once we receive Jesus Christ and we're justified by faith, now God will use everything in our lives to mold us and shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, the good things and the bad things, the happy things and the sorrowful things, the joyful things and the sorrowful things. God will use all that to make us like Jesus. These are the mercies Paul's telling us about. And then he says that we're going to have this great grace poured out upon us. That's receiving things that we don't deserve, but God gives them to us anyway. Paul says, you're going to get all that. And then he tells us this amazing thing to me, that the Holy Spirit of God actually comes and lives inside of us. That's a tremendous mercy. And then all these promises and the things that God gives us in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And then Paul comes to Romans 12 and he says, now knowing all that, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then we come to that first commandment that he gives us. Now, we're going to jump right into those commands. And as I said, we're going to look at these and find out what they mean. But then, really, I want to see how we live it. How are we supposed to take what we know from the Word of God and turn it into practical Christianity where we actually live our faith and do these things with the promise that we're going to know God's will day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, walking in God's will. So the first thing we're going to look at, the first command, sacrificial presentation. Sacrificial presentation. You notice he says they're very uh, straight and to the point. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, great. We got that. How many of you have read that? You've memorized this. You've read that a hundred times. Put it in your notebook, put it in your phone, put it in your iPad. Great. Got it. Move on. No. No, we're not going to move on. We're going to take that scripture. Let's pull it apart and see what that literally means. What does that mean, present your bodies a living sacrifice? Well, the first word you're going to see there is the word present. And that's a word that takes us back to the Old Testament. And it actually speaks of a priest in the Old Testament offering a sacrifice on an altar. Now, what is an altar? Well, an altar is a place of sacrifice, a place of dedication, and a place of consecration. And so in the Old Testament, that priest would lay that animal up there. He would slay it, and that animal would then be consumed by the fire. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. So it's this idea that we're going to present something to God, and we're going to let him consume it, him control it, and he's going to take uh, ownership of it. And so that's what the Bible tells us to present. Present, but present what? You notice it says, present your bodies. And what does that mean? 
Does that mean we take our feet and our hands and our eyes and our, our mouth and our mind? Yeah, it really does. I don't know why, in God's infinite wisdom, that he chose to create a physical creation. You know, the Bible tells us in John 4, 24, that God is spirit, and in him is spirit. And so God is a spirit. John 1, 18 says no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. I don't know why God created a physical creation, but he did. And he gave us physical bodies, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that we were created in the image of God. Genesis 2, 7 tells us, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. There's our physical bodies. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so when God created us with physical bodies, he created us that way to function in a physical world. And when he did that, when he created us that way, he made us sensual, S-E-N-S-U-A-L. Now, that's not risque or perverse. When we say that God created us sensual, that means he gave us senses. That's how we function in a physical world. So think about it. We can taste, touch, smell, hear, and see. But the Bible also tells us that God gave us the ability to think and the ability to feel emotion and the ability to make decisions. We call that free will or volition. So here's our senses. Taste, touch, smell, hear, see, think, feel, decide. Now, when you think about how we're tempted to go away from God, how we're tempted to uh, walk off and, and to turn our backs on God and to rebel against God, to disobey against God, where do those temptations come? In those senses, right? In, in taste, touch, smell, hear, see, think, feel, and decide. And that's how we're tempted to be drawn away. So when it says our bodies, I like to marry this with First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. Y'all like to memorize scripture? Here's an easy one, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Just listen to this. Pray without ceasing. You all know that scripture. What does that mean, pray without ceasing? We just walk around mumbling prayers all the time? No, that's not what that means. Think about what prayer is at its very root. At its very root, prayer is communication, communion, and fellowship with God. And so when the Bible says pray without ceasing, what it's actually saying is so order your life in such a way that that's how you're living, in constant fellowship, in constant communion, in constant communication with Almighty God. It's saying live your life that way. Now, what does that have to do with Romans 12.1? Well, because the Bible says present your bodies. That's how we live. So I am to present my life. I'm to offer my life to God as a living sacrifice. Now, is that redundant? No, I'll explain that in just a moment. But let's take that concept just a little bit further. What am I talking about taking my life and offering on the altar as a living sacrifice? Well, Romans chapter three is where we find out in 10 through 12 that all have sinned and you know, we come short. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. And then in Romans three and verse 13 through 18, it starts to list some of the stuff we do. And it says that our throat is an open tomb, that the poison of asps is under our tongue. It tells us that we speak deceit. It tells us that our feet are swift to shed blood. It tells us that there's no fear of God before our eyes. And that's speaking about that physical, sensual life that we live. So what are you talking about presenting your life, your bodies? Well, let's take our eyes, for instance. You know, you hear the old saying, the eye is the uh, window to the soul. Well, a lot of what we think and decide comes through our eyes and our ears. 
So are you taking your eyes and laying those on the altar and saying, God, you consume this. God, you determine what comes into these eyes, not me. It's got to be you. And then what about your ears, what you're listening to, what you're hearing? God, you take that. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to lay it on the altar every day. I'm going to sacrifice this to you. You control it, God. You consume it. You're the one that's going to be in control, not me. What about your feet? Where are your feet taking you? What about your hands? What are you doing? Is this being dedicated and consecrated and sacrificed to God? And then you hear this big one. It said the throat is an open tomb. That speaks of death. That's what comes out of an open tomb. Under the lips is a poison of asps. You know, we think of that little eight-ounce piece of flesh inside of our mouth. And you hear the old phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words will hurt you more than sticks and stones ever will. And so what is your tongue doing? Have you given that to God? You know, the Bible says that out in Matthew 12 and verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think a lot of us need to take that tongue and lay it up on the altar and say, God, you consume this. God, I've been speaking gossip. I've been speaking de deceit. I've been speaking death. I want to speak life and truth. Purge that in me. You consume that. And I lay that on the altar and give it to you. Now you say, well, Kevin, how exactly do we do that? You see, I'm all into the how-to of these things. How do we actually do that? I got that in my notebook now. What do we do? Um, do any of you ever pray scripture back to God? It's a very powerful thing. In fact, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, I certainly want God to hear me. And so I can guarantee you 100%, listen up, if you want to pray God's will, pray God's word. I promise you God's word is God's will. And so here's a scripture that if you haven't memorized it, do this. Write this one down. I've gotten in the habit of praying this every morning. And it's Psalm 139 in verses 23 and 24. And it says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see what it's saying is, God, I don't have, you know, I told you, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful. I don't know. God, I'm going to lay it before you. I don't know what my eyes and my ears and my heart and my thoughts and all these things. I don't know, but you do, Lord. You search me. You try me. Try my thoughts. God, I can be deceived. Try my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And then convict me of all that. And then I, don't need, I still can't do it. You lead me in the way everlasting. I take that and lay it at the feet of Jesus. I say, Jesus, you take it. I lay this on the altar. And you notice what it says? As a living sacrifice. Now, that's interesting. You know, we're going back to the Old Testament thinking about that sacrifice. And here's that priest, and he comes up to that place of sacrifice, consecration, and dedication. And he took that ram or lamb or bull or whatever it be, and he laid it up on that altar. And he took a knife and he slayed it. And Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that life blood would flow out of that animal. And guess what? That was a dead sacrifice. And that dead sacrifice would just lay there. Well, let me tell you something about a dead sacrifice. It's not going anywhere. It's going to lay right there where you place it, and it's going to be consumed by the fire. But you notice that the Bible doesn't tell us that we're dead sacrifices. We are living sacrifices. You want to know something about a living sacrifice? It gets up and walks off the altar. 
That's what a living sacrifice does. You know, we're all made of the same stuff, and so I like to uh, follow James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, confess your faults one to another. I want to confess some faults to you because I know that you suffer the same thing that I do. Sometimes I get up and walk off that altar. What I mean by that is I'm going along, I'm just consecrating, dedicating, sacrificing my life to God. Man, God, you search me. God, you try me. God, you lead me. And then, oh, squirrel. And here comes some kind of temptation, something that's going to lead me away from Almighty God. And that may be different for all of us, but I want to tell you something that I deal with a lot. It's called apathy. I just get moving along in my life, and I'm so walking with God, and then I just get bored. I get busy. I just get to where I'm, I'm not caring as much, and I'm not giving it to God. And, and that can take me off of the altar. And it may be different for you in some way, but how do we stay on that altar? Offering ourselves, our lives as a living sacrifice, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. I'm going to give you two things that will keep you on that altar, Okay. Now, when you put these down, these are not easy. The first word that I want you to put down that will keep you on the altar is the word devotion. Devotion. Now, what do we think of? We're religious. What do we think of in devotion? We think of prayer and all those things. Well, there's a a part of that. But I really want you to think of that word in terms of your attitude, the way that you think, the the plans that you make. Devotion, because we're talking about staying on the altar. Now, when I think about devotion, I'm going to take a little analogy here and go to our physical, because it says bodies, right? So let's take our our physical bodies, okay? Here's a little example. I'm going to make a devotion. I'm going to decide that I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to look better. I'm going to feel better. So I'm going to get in shape physically. Well, how am I going to do that? If that's all the place that I go is to get in shape, well, that's not going to get me very far. So I have to start narrowing down my focus. Okay, how am I going to get in shape? Well, I'm going to eat right, I'm going to exercise. Okay, great. Still not in any better shape, right? Okay, so now what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to learn about carbohydrates and proteins and fats and caloric intake and all that stuff. And then I'm going to actually make a plan on how I'm going to eat. And I'm going to, you know, turn away from the snicker bar and turn unto the broccoli or whatever it be. And I'm going to learn to eat right. And that's going to be my plan. And exercise, well, okay, what am I going to do? I'm just going to exercise. No, I'm going to go to the gym three days a week. I'm going to take and and walk a mile four days a week or whatever it be. And that's my plan to get in physical shape. Now let's step over to the spiritual side. Now what do we do? Okay, what's my plan to stay offering myself as a sacrifice unto God day by day? Well, it's going to sound kind of generic, but it's still Bible truth. I'm going to pray. Communication, fellowship, communication with God. Communion with God. And so I'm going to pray. That's my first thought. Okay, I'm going to do that. Okay, I'm going to read my Bible. Okay, great. Now put that on the list. I'm going to go to church. That's a novel concept. You know, we hear uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling yourselves together as a manner of some is. And you've heard that. Take the Bible and beat you over the head. You've got to be in church. Do you know why you're supposed to be in church? For the last part of that verse. But exhorting one another, that means encouraging one another. We're going to encourage each other, okay? And then serving God. You say, well, that sounds kind of boring. I don't need to write that down in my notebook. Okay, let's go to the second word. If all I do physically is I have this devotion, this plan, and I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to do all that stuff, and I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to exercise right, but I don't do it, am I in any better shape? Not at all. 
well, what about this wonderful spiritual plan I have? And I'm going to pray and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to get into shape and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all that and then I don't do it. You're not going to see any results whatsoever. So here comes the next word and it's the dirty word, discipline. Discipline. I told you I was going to give you a how-to this morning. Nobody likes the word discipline in any level because it means there's going to be some effort on our part. And we talk about discipline. Let's talk about the physical realm, okay? If I want to be in shape, I have to do that. I have to devote. I have to have my attitude and my plan, but then I have to go through with it. And you know what I've found exercising over the years? Sometimes it's wonderful. And I feel so good, and you know, I'm in the gym, and I'm in front of the mirror, and I'm doing all that stuff. And then there's times I wake up, I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired today, and I, you know, it hurts, and I, well, you waste my time. You know, I don't want to do that. And so what do I do? Just stop? No, that's where discipline comes in. No, I'm going to do it anyway. You know why? Because I want the results. It's worth it to me to go in there and do that. Now, let's take it to the spiritual realm. You know, we want it. This may not sound very spiritual, but it's very true. What about prayer? Well, you know, it's sometimes I'm on that mountaintop and I just have this wonderful feeling and these wonderful religious liver shivers and man, it's just wonderful. But there's a lot of times it's not. Can anybody give me a witness? I mean, sometimes it's hard to pray. I don't feel like my prayers get above the ceiling. I don't have time. My thoughts are every different place. Same thing with reading my Bible. I, you know, I read it five times and I still don't know what I read. What do I do in those situations? Just quit? No. I employ discipline. I'm going to do it anyway, even if it doesn't feel good. Because <laughs> I want the results. I want to see what God is going to do in my life when I do that. Let me give you a little encouragement. And you know, they say misery loves company. Well, um, the Apostle Paul, wouldn't you agree? Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian ever lived. Probably the, uh, not probably, I would say the greatest preacher, greatest missionary that ever lived. Let me give you a few words that Paul uses in the Word of God to describe prayer. Are you ready? Labor. Wrestling. Striving. Warfare. Boy, that sounds fun, doesn't it? Paul says you do this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what happens if I do it once a week or once a month? Not much. But what happens if I do it every single day? Paul says, sacrificial presentation. Now, you'll notice this scripture is like a chain with links. It's all linked together. So Paul says, sacrificial presentation, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and be not conformed to this world. There's our second thing. Subjective confirmation. Now, I had to stretch a little bit. I'm one of these guys that likes to alliterate my messages so I had to have S's in there. So I had to think, what, what would that be? Subjective. But I think it really fits it well. Because what am I talking about there? The Bible says here, do not be conformed to this world. So we have a choice. You can be conformed to God's word and God's way and God's will, or you can choose to be conformed to the world. Now, the word conform means with form. And it actually is, there's a, a, a version that I, I read this in, and I liked it. It said of this verse, it translated it this way. Do not be squeezed into the mold of this world. Now, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Don't be squeezed into the mold of this world. So I think really the key in this verse for us to understand is not, not to be conformed, but it's to what? What are we not to be conformed to? I think the key there is that word world. Now, you'll see the word world translated from different Greek words in the Scripture. And one of the words that we see is used various places. 
We see in, in uh, for instance, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, that's talking about people. We see it spoken of about the planet, you know, the world, the physical world. But you'll often see the word, the Greek word cosmos used to explain the world. And you'll see it both positively and you'll see it negatively. One of the places that cosmos is used negatively is in James chapter four and verse four. Now, what does cosmos mean? It means simply order or system. Okay, when it says world, order or system. Well, what does that mean, order or system? Well, for instance, we get our word cosmetics from cosmos. So honestly, ladies, if you put makeup on this morning, what you're actually doing in the Greek is you're putting your face in order. That's what it says. Now, what are you talking about the world in as an order? Well, in James 4, 4, it says, if you are an, uh, a friend of the world, friend of the cosmos, you are the enemy of God. And so in that situation, what it's saying is that world means that order, that system that is in rebellion and disobedience against God. Now you say, where do I find that? Turn your television on for about five minutes. You'll see it all over the place. The world. Now, that's not the word used in Romans 1 or 12 and verse 2. I think it would have been a very good word to use, but it's not the word. There's a more specific word used from the Greek in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to, and it's not the word cosmos, it's a word aion. A-I-O-N. And it has a very specific meaning. It means age or time. Age or time. Don't be conformed to this age or time. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, all throughout history from Genesis 3 on, if there's a temptation to, to draw away from God, a temptation to sin, to disobey God, it always comes in one of three forms. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. We see it all through Scripture. And I'm not going to give you a, a lesson on that. But, but so they, there's always the same thing. There's always those same three temptation or, or forms of temptation. But they present in different ways. Now, this is the point in the, the uh, message where I realize I'm probably losing some of you. Uh, somebody told me I had a soothing voice. I don't know, but it probably puts you to sleep. So um, let me get some congregational participation right now, okay? I'm going to get you to raise your hands. And don't be afraid to raise your hand on this because we're all suffering from the same thing. All right, if you were born between the years of 1946 and 1964, can I see those hands? 1946, 1964. Ladies and gentlemen, here are the baby boom generation. You can put your hands down. Now, here's my generation, the next one. You ready, guys? If you were born between the years of 1965 and 1980, let's see those hands. All right, guys, we are, what do they call us? Gen Xers, Generation X. We're all in our 40s and 50s now. And then there's the next generation. If you're born between the years of 1981 and 1996, let's see those hands. There, my friends, are the millennials. You can put your hands down. And then if you're born after that, Generation Z but I'm not gonna use you guys for my example, okay? Why, my generation, Generation X, I was born in 1972, uh, my generation is also known as the lost generation. It doesn't have anything to do with spiritual things. We get lost between the other two generations. They're a lot more better known than we are. For instance, you baby boomers that raise your hands, you know why you're so famous? There's so many of you. Boom, there was all these babies, you know? That's why they call you the baby boom. And then, then after that, there's my generation, and then the next generation, obviously the millennials, and we, we hear so much about millennials, good and bad, but that leaves my generation is kind of forgotten about. But guys, those of you who are in Generation X, Gen Xers, let me give you something you can be proud of, at least I am. 
We are the last generation that knows what the world was like in our formative years, all of our formative years, before computers, cell phones, internet, and social media. We are the last generation. Now, when I say that the baby boomers are like, no, we remember that. Yeah, but you're not the last generation. And some of the older millennials will say, yeah, but we remember. Yeah, but just in a short period of time. My generation, Generation X, we knew in our formative years what that was like. I didn't see the internet till I was in my early 20s. I, had, I never owned a cell phone till I was almost 30. And so in those formative years, now why am I talking about all that? Because every generation has different challenges. And now in this generation, which we're all living in, this, this generation now, what are the challenges? Well, we see those things like internet, social media, um, this transgender stuff and all the things we're hearing. How are you interacting with that? We're talking about not being conformed to this age, this time. You know, the Bible says we're to be different. We're the ecclesia, the called out assembly of God, called out from the world and called unto God. And God says because of that, we're to look different. We're to act different. We're to speak differently. I didn't say we're to be freaks or fanatics. We're not to be that. That pushes people away from God. But we are to be different in beauty and truth. And so I like to marry this verse, this right here, to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Listen to Ephesians 5 and verse 18. You'll recognize it. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now what do we usually hear that verse? I come from fire and brimstone preaching in my past, and I always hear that, don't get drunk on wine, don't get drunk with alcohol. Well, of course we're not supposed to do that. But that's not the emphasis of that verse. Paul was using that as an example to emphasize the last part of the verse. Think about this. If you're drunk on alcohol, I guarantee you, if you see somebody who's drunk on alcohol, the alcohol's in control, that person's going to talk differently. That person's going to walk differently. That person is going to think differently. That person's going to act differently because he's under control of that alcohol. And Paul said, you see that? Now let's flip that over to the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, guess who's in control? God is in control. And if he is, I guarantee you, you're going to act differently. You're going to walk differently. You're going to speak differently. You're going to look different because you're under control of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. We have a choice. You can present your body as a living sacrifice every day by devotion and discipline, and you can be conformed and choose to be conformed unto God's way and God's word. And then the last thing, you notice it keeps linking. We have a sacrificial present, uh, presentation. We have a subjective confirmation, but then this last part, this, the, the third uh, command, is this uh, supernatural transformation. So how do we not be conformed to this world? How are we transformed? So we're transformed by renewing our mind, supernatural transformation. Now, I'm sure you've heard this before, but the word transformation is translated from the Greek word metamorpho. You recognize that because all of us has had elementary school biology class and you hear the word metamorphosis. It just simply means change in form. And where do we always hear in sixth grade biology? Here's our study about metamorphosis. It's always the same place. Caterpillar turned into a butterfly, right? A caterpillar gets metamorphosed. Well, let's break that down and think about what happens when a caterpillar gets changed into a butterfly. So here's this little worm. He's crawling on the ground. And inside of him, he has this thing that's going on, and he has this little instinct to weave this cocoon around himself. 
And when he doesn't, he weaves that cocoon. And when he gets in there, this magic takes place. Alakazam, abracadabra, boom. And this magic creature comes out. It's a butterfly, completely different. Is that what happens in there? Is it magic? No, it's not magic. It's biology, genetics, and physiology. What takes place of that little caterpillar inside of that cocoon is that that which is inside of him, which is that genetic material, that DNA of a butterfly is in him and it comes out and it shows forth. He's always been a beautiful butterfly. It just hadn't shown. And so that which was in him comes out. Now let's go a little further. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. And in Matthew 17, we see this same word used. And we hear this, we all know this story, the transfiguration on the mount, right? So Jesus goes up on a mountain and he is transfigured, metamorphosed on the mountain. And what happens? He's standing up there with Peter, James, and John and he begins to shine like the noonday sun. Well, what's happening there? Do you ever think about what's taking place? Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. You know, John 1 and verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is God. Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Now, when Jesus came to this earth, he did not give up his Godhead. He did not give up his deity. He was 100% God, 100% man the whole way through. But he veiled that because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he was going to identify with man, and he was man, but he's also 100% God. Now, what was taking place on that Mount of Transfiguration? Well, here's Peter, James, and John. They're going to be instrumental in the beginning of the early church, and God's going to give them a little injection of faith. And so God the Father reaches down, and he pulls back the veil. And that who Jesus is came shining out, deity, God, Jesus Christ, and all his glory. He was transfigured. Now, let's go one more. Let's talk about us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, and it says this, but we all, with open face, Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed, metamorphosed, transfigured into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, if you're saved, who's inside of you? The Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, you are born again, the Bible says. That's not just a symbol or an analogy. You are born again. When you receive Jesus Christ, the old man dies. You are a new creature in Christ. 2 Thessalonians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's who you are. You have inside of you the DNA, the spiritual DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if that's inside of you, it has to come out. Let me give you another scripture that may rock your bones a little bit, may convict you a little. It's 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5. And it says this, hereby do we know that we know him. You're getting some old King James stuff in here. Hereby do we know that we know him. It says this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. This is how we know that we know him. Listen, my friends, is the spiritual DNA of Jesus Christ showing out in your life, in your eyes, in your mouth, in your feet, in your hands, everywhere? Are you giving yourself as a sacrificial presentation, not once a week or once a month, every day of your life, and through devotion and discipline, you're living that, and you're giving a, a subjective confirmation to God and not to the world? And then that supernatural transformation, and people say, well, how do you do that? You see the end of the verse? 
by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You saturate it with the word of God because that's God's mind. That's God's revealed mind to us is the renewing of our mind through the word of God. You read the word of God, you study the word of God, you know the word of God, you obey the word of God, you believe the word of God. That's how we renew our mind. Sacrificial presentation, subjective confirmation, supernatural transformation. Now I'm finished, but I have one more thing to direct you to, okay? It's a little word, one little word right at the beginning of this scripture. You notice Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. This scripture wasn't written to unbelievers. All that I just spoke about is available to those of us who believe. If you're here today or if you're listening and you've never received Jesus Christ, you've never been saved, you've never been born again, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all turned our back on God. But the Bible also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that today. I'm gonna give you one more verse, Hebrews 3, 7. It says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know why? If you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon you today, respond to it because God knows that if you don't tomorrow, your heart's going to be harder and you won't respond. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Now, in just a moment, Heather's going to begin to play. The pastor's going to be here. You have anything. Listen, this is a sacrifice. I said, bring your life as a living sacrifice to an altar. Now, is there anything really innately special about this? No, but it's a place. You'll find that in the scriptures, they often, the Bible uh, heroes found places that they offered. And so maybe today you'd say, I need to offer myself as a living sacrifice. Come here. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you never received Jesus. Come down here. There's going to be pastors here in just a moment. And they're going to be right there. And you can just say, I, I want to know Jesus. And they'll, they'll lead you and they'll help you. But I want to pray. And then Heather's going to sing. And I'm going to give you an invitation. What's an invitation? I'm, I'm but the Holy Spirit is inviting you to make a decision. Don't leave here today without making the decision. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.